Hi, my name is Lila Turner and you are listening to the Becoming Relationship Ready podcast series. Here we'll be discussing the twists, the turns, the ups and downs and the wins and fails of finding love and connection. Each week, I will have a different guest share their experience and relationship stories. I'll want to know what are their stumbling blocks, what have their blind spots been, what have their relationship patterns been that felt unbreakable. And I'll also want to know what are their relationship hacks, what have they discovered about themselves and relationships that has been a game changer for them. Welcome, Joanna Cottrell. Thank you so much. As you know, I'm uh, really, really happy that you're here and taking some time out to chat with me. Thank you so much. You've worked as an accessories editor for Vogue for a number of years, and then you've also worked within hospitality restaurant business. So you have uh, a breadth of different experiences and successful businesses that you've worked in and ran as a sort of business owner. I started off in fashion, had a brief foray into television, but back into fashion. That was in my 20s. And then in my marriage, when my first child was born, we started uh, in the restaurant business in New York. And that just grew into multiple locations. And it was a time in New York when, you know, it was the 80s and things were just bursting forth with innovation and new ideas. And during that time, I had three children. Yeah, so that was pretty much my married life into my 40s, restaurants and children. And just having come from fashion myself, and a lot of people seem to assume if I left that, I must be sad about it. How did you feel about leaving, you know, a glamorous career in fashion to go into what would have been a lot of different kind of hard work? You know, there was a bit of a transition from one career to the next, but what we were doing, no one had ever done before in food. It was, you know, it was the early 80s, and at that time, they were either very high-end restaurants or just delis. And we saw a need to create restaurant-quality food that people could take back. Because in New York City, there's a huge amount of people that take lunch back to their office or order in. I think New York is unique for that. I don't know how London is. So we hired a chef and a professional baker, and we had that kind of food available. And then that just grew into multiple locations and full-service restaurants. So it was exciting because we were doing something that had never been done before. And I could bring my sense of style and beauty into food, how the shops looked, how the food was presented. We had some of the best graphic artists and Martha Stewart was creating her business then. And a lot of the same people who worked for Martha consulted with us. So no, it was never considered I'd left something behind that I missed. And of course, fashion is great because you can wear fashion. You don't have to work in fashion. You can still wear it and see it in New York City. It's on the streets everywhere. No, I loved what I did. I had no regrets whatsoever. You went vegan. Yeah, I was 25 when I became a vegan, 25 in New York City. People thought I was totally bonkers, but our restaurants weren't. But it had the same sensibility of really high quality and the the best. Everything was prepared fresh at the moment. And my then boyfriend, husband, he was so intrigued by veganism. It wasn't called vegan then. It was called something else, less even less glamorous than the word vegan. And he just took to it and he saw how he felt. So we were like that. We raised our kids like that, but we offered everything in our restaurants. Typical 
upscale New York food mm. with a Mediterranean flair. Our baker was from the UK. So we had things like scones and Simnel cake and all these little British treats as well as American treats. People loved us. They had never seen anything like that before. So every week was something new. We just kept growing and growing and growing. And of course, because it was Midtown New York, it was a daytime business. It was Monday to Friday. And that was great, raising a family. You know, the, the restaurants came much later. But again, it was Midtown. We really fed corporate America. We did all the food for Fashion Week and for the shoe shows and for finance. And anytime there was something of that nature, we were the go-to people for it. So we had a great business, yeah. What did you love most and hate most about fashion and the restaurant business? What I love most about the fashion business is the fashion and creating beauty. I love style. What I hated about it was the judgment. The beauty only was one way to look. And I hated the obsession with money that you had to look like an anorexic young boy or the socialites, you know, that the New York socialites was the way to look with lots of money. So I hated that about the fashion and the snobbery in it. What I loved about the restaurant business is how alive it made me feel. Just the creativity, the fun of it, doing something no one had ever done before. I don't think there's anything I didn't like about it. To see the growth of it, to see all the people working there, the customers and clients and how they loved the food and how they would walk in and have an experience. Because in New York, you have an experience when you walk into places. In London, too. You know, they create a whole environment. I loved working with the creative people, the designers, the packagers, the the chefs. Um, What I didn't like about it, I didn't like having to fire people, especially with people who were trying their best and just couldn't make the cut. Because I always wanted everyone to do their best and to be honored. And then some people just can't. Or their best isn't, it wasn't the best for what the company needed. And the challenge was always to inspire people to go on and do better. And, you know, the idea is to try to make them feel as if this is really going to help them move on to the next place. That always seemed pretty hollow to me. So that was hard. And the second thing, I was a new mom. I had a year-old baby when we started the company, and I had to hire somebody to look after her. I would see moms on the street with strollers when I was working to work, or they'd come into the shop with strollers. And that was really hard for me. So you live in LA now. You're a coach. How did you transition from the restaurant business into coaching? Where did the jump go? What happened? I mean, I went through a very difficult divorce. And and the way I was able to get through it was I became a meditator at that time to still myself. And I saw that I had a choice of where my mind was going to rest. I could go into fear and anger and resentment, or I could have the awareness that I was going to get through it and there's going to be something on the other side. And there was a spiritual nature that I could tap into. I could choose where I wanted to rest my mind. And so I got through this and I moved to Los Angeles and I decided that I wanted to create a program for women like myself who had gone through this that could use spiritual teachings along with psychology. And I entered graduate school for traditional psychology. And it just seemed very strange to me that people were making things up. And someone mentioned to me that there was a school for spiritual psychology that combined those two. And that was like lightning bolt hit me. And I went and I got a degree in spiritual psychology. 
And I really learned how to combine some of the keenest awareness of what psychology has to offer from a place of higher consciousness, of looking down upon things and trying to get to a place where you really get out of your head with it, which is how then I learned the principles, which is even a more elegant, it's a more elegant way of understanding how we work as humans going through uh, life. And so in learning this, I realized I wanted to bring it to other people because it had so transformed my life from being a life of anxiety, fear, and resentment to hopeful, peaceful, fun. It isn't as if I wasn't going back and forth at times, but I knew how to get out of it. I knew when I was in it. And I wanted to share that with other people because I could see women, when they were stuck in that anger and resentment, they couldn't go back. You know, their marriage was over, but they couldn't go forward either. There was no leaving that place. And I wanted to help other women to achieve and be able to build a life the way I had after a nightmare of a divorce. I know that you work with a variety of people now. You do project work. You've gone into correctional facilities and things. Yes, I really was drawn to working with communities at risk. I work with a large prison population with a team of coaches that go in to maximum security prison for women and a lesser security prison for men in Central California. And then I've also worked with the United Nations. And this is a program that I created to work with Israeli and Palestinian women and women from North Africa, Northern Ireland and Rwanda, you know, women who have gone through crises and emerged into healing. So I did some programs in the Middle East around that until it got a little too dangerous to go. And then also with the addiction recovery, you know, there's addiction in my family. And I really found that some of the programs could use more of a, a lighter way of addicts in recovery viewing their life. Yeah. So most of my clients have been women of a certain age. I think because of my age, the wisdom of my training, my life experience too. I've been through divorce. I've been through cancer. I've been through addiction with my kids. You know, <laughs> I've moved cross country. I've lost my money and made it back again. You know, it's pretty much a one-stop shop. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I want to back up a little bit and I've never asked you this question. So what did dating look like in your teens and maybe late teens, early 20s, like before you settled with a husband? When I look back, I always sort of had a boyfriend and then time in between. I went to a Catholic all-girls school, so there weren't a lot of boys around. And I think my first real boyfriend was when I was like 15, and we dated for a year. And then I'd have another boyfriend. I went to an all-girls college, too. If you could talk about limiting myself in terms of a dating pool, I would be an episodic dater. I'd have a relationship for maybe a year or two. I don't remember any real pattern or thought that I had about dating. Most of my dating was in the late 60s and early 70s, you know. So it was kind of free-spirited, spent a lot of time traveling and having encounters. And it wasn't like a wild and crazy dater. I liked having a boyfriend. You know, I grew up in the 70s during the feminist movement. So I never felt a real pressure to date with any agenda in mind other than to date. I didn't really care whether I got married or not. I had no sense of wanting to find the one. I just always seemed to have a boyfriend. And then there would be a time in between and then I'd have another boyfriend. And then I met the man that I married when I was 28 and fell madly in love and we got married. I wasn't curious about my own process. I don't think I was curious about what I wanted. And I certainly wasn't curious about the guy. It was sort of, you know, you fall in love, you get married, and that's it. You weren't sitting there at some point, got serious and decided you wanted a husband. You kind of just ended up... No, 
not until I met him. And then I knew that I wanted to get married to him. I think I had more of that after my first marriage ended than I did before I, I was married the first time. You eventually divorced your first husband and married again. It was quite a brutal experience for you going through a divorce. Yes. During the second time, were you able to come at it fresh? Did you have any divorce PTSD? Like, did you? Thank God I didn't. And I think it was all the inner work that I had done. I wasn't fearful. My second marriage, I have a hard time even calling it a marriage because we dated on and off for like 11 years and I'd break up and then I'd go back and, and finally, really towards the end, I thought, okay, this will get better if we get married. And he had wanted to be married for a long time. And I said, yes, and we were really only married four months when I realized this was a mistake. And to this day, we are the best of friends. If I look back at my thinking, I was a woman of a certain age then, you know, I was in my 50s. And I would say, I mean, he's a really good guy, but if I don't stay with him, no one's going to want me. And I really stayed in it because he was a lovely man. There's no doubt about that. But it was really more about my feelings about myself, my judgments against myself, my fear of my desirability, my fear that there was no one else out there that kept me in that relationship. What was the clarity moment you had that that thought wasn't possibly true or helpful? It was during the workshop with Barb. I just had this realization, I couldn't do this anymore. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't live that way anymore. And so I came back and I just ended it. I wasn't afraid anymore. I was more afraid of staying in it than what I was telling myself about it. When you say it really wasn't feeling right, I sometimes think that when I've gone against my wisdom, it's like stroking a cat the wrong way. There's no screaming alarm, but there's like, doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel right. Yeah, just couldn't do it. It's so interesting because when you talk about your relationship with your second ex-husband, how warm you are towards each other, how generous and supportive, just really good friends and can talk about anything. Yes. And have different opinions and not be in conflict about it. Like there is something quite remarkable and lovely. So it's not like he was a real bleep. It was just not right. I mean, I couldn't say anything that was wrong, except that it was wrong. You know, there's nothing wrong with him. He's a lovely, lovely man. So the first time we met was the first day you walked in. We'd had a brief conversation on the phone. You'd signed up to come to the Relationship Ready Program, starting with the retreats in Portland. I remember you walking in the door and probably like a lot of people thinking, wow, she's a knockout. You're very regal, tall and elegant. You just hold yourself with a confidence. You're obviously good looking. You know, it's like, wow. I don't know if you get that response from everybody. I remember just being kind of like, whoa, she's kind of magnificent. And as we sat down and everybody started to introduce themselves, I didn't know you other than the somewhat brief conversation we'd had on the phone, but you felt quite serious that first morning. I'd love to hear a little bit about why had you come? What were you looking to get and what was on your mind that first morning? When I walked in, when I sat down, I had this sense of, tell me something I don't already know. Because here I have degrees in psychology and spiritual psychology. I've been studying the principles for a couple of years where I was trying to fit the principles into what I already knew. You were looking for really good ideas to implement, and I knew the direction was going to be in the feeling and the connection to yourself, which was the opposite way. 
So I kind of had to hang in there, but I just had warmed to you. So it didn't bother me. I'd seen that there was something to this. So tell me about that break. So the first morning, you kind of look quite unhappy. Well, you're absolutely right. I wanted to have new ideas and how to not be the way I was. And I wanted you to show me how I could heal this within myself. And so when you gave me your response and the principles, I was like, you can't teach me something I already know. And we broke for lunch. And as I was walking, I had this insight. I don't have to change anything. I just have to stop believing what I think about myself or what I think about dating. It was such a freedom. I didn't have to go through any deep process. I didn't have to go to the past. I didn't have to look at my past marriages. I didn't have to look at my failure. I didn't even have to stop thinking it. I just had to stop believing it. It was like, oh yeah, I can do that. And then everything changed. I came back and I loved you. (laughs) Well, what I noticed from that first morning is you relaxed and then you started to listen, started to settle down and listen with a different set of ears. Definitely. And there are things, there are things that still to this day will pop into my thinking when I go down the rabbit hole. You know, if I'm not having my own insight, something that you said brings me right back into balance again. You know, I I really was able to take in things that were being said by the two of you. And you got lighter. You just lifted and your face softened and you just, your presence was very different by the time you left. I was having fun. I started having fun. Yeah. If it's an issue that matters to us, often we think we have to apply serious thought as opposed to considering, well, when we're mind is free and we are lighter or in fun, we tend to get great ideas. You know, one of the relationships, one of the early relationships I had uh, when I had just completed relationship ready, there was a week we were away and I I knew that I felt so free of doubt. It was the happiest time I had ever felt. I was observing myself being totally me and having no fear. It was, a, it was the most prolonged period of um, contentment and joy that I had ever felt. I know that the only thing keeping me from that is what's going on in my head. It's so much easier to um, go to the misuse of thought than settling down into what's really there. You know, I remember I was in a plane once and it was having mechanical difficulties. It was having, uh, it was like falling. And I had just started meditating. I'd been meditating for about a year or two then. And I had learned where we rest our mind is how peaceful we are. And as a plane was going through this difficulty, I went into absolute terror. And I saw that I had a choice. I could stay with being afraid or I could just quiet my mind and be still. Those few minutes, I really saw the choice I was making. And that was such a vivid example because it was like plane crash or no plane crash, you know, be afraid or don't be afraid. It was a very dramatic example of how I could be. Quiet my mind and, you know, not pay attention to, are we gonna crash or just get still? And, uh, And that opportunity is in everyday life. You know, I can, I can choose how I'm feeling by what I'm letting my mind do. And that's what the principles teach me. It's like right now, right now, right now. So when you left the retreat, I think you, didn't you go off to Spain? Was it Spain? I did. I was going to Mallorca to take a vegan chef training. 
I got into my hotel and there was this person in the elevator. I said, hi. And he said, hi, where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. Where are you from? Well, I'm Italian. I live in Frankfurt. Then he said, can I carry your luggage and I help you? And I said, sure. And he was this young guy, you know, handsome. He helped me to my door and he said, would you like to go for a drink? And I was very flustered, you know, and I said, you mean like this weekend? And he said, no, tonight. So he takes my phone, he puts his number in it. It turns out he's on the same floor of the hotel I am. And the first thing I did was text the relationship ready group saying, there's this young guy and he wants to have a drink. And I was so nervous. And, you know, this is my first date. Clearly, I'm a woman of a certain age. You could hear in my story, I had grown children. And so I said, yes. And we had, we had drinks, we had dinner. And then he said to me, would you like to go to the beach tomorrow? So I said, yes. I just kept saying yes. Meanwhile, we spent most of that week together talking, going to the beach. I mean, I had a little holiday romance with this, you know, beautiful young Italian. We were together like five or six days. I was going into my chef training on Monday and he was going back to Frankfurt. And we went to the beach, we motorcycled to the beach. And, and that day he was very inattentive, didn't pay any attention to me. And I sat on the beach getting older and older and older, thinking he feels he's wasted his entire vacation with me. There are all these beautiful young women and here he is with this woman of a certain age. And I really watched myself beating myself up and having a miserable time. It was awful. But within three hours, he was in a hospital in a coma. He was developing encephalitis. I mean, literally, I saved his life. You know, he probably would have died. They would have thought he was on drugs because he was acting very bizarrely. So I thought it was so interesting. Here's a man going into a coma. And my thought was all about myself. I was judging myself. There's so many ways that you could listen to that story and go, oh, well, if I followed that advice, I'd end up going home with a stalker. You said yes, because it felt right. But you were also... You weren't unsafe. Yeah, no, I mean, I found out a lot about him and I checked it. You know, he was a banker in Frankfurt and I Googled him and he was at the bank. And it's interesting because when he had this crisis, health crisis, I was able to find members of his family and have them take over. And it was because we had spent so much time talking that I knew so much about his life. So as the days progressed, you know, I felt safer in making that choice. I mean, to me at the time, I remember thinking, wow, he sounds like a little gift that landed on your doorstep. And it sounds like he really enjoyed your company as well. What do you feel like you were given as a gift in terms of that experience? It brought me a sense of, of self, appreciating myself and knowing that, I, that I'm still an attractive, desirable woman. And I can have fun with it. I don't mean a casual fun. I think what you're saying is really important. When some of that self-consciousness dropped away, you were able to be just the spirit of you. But there was a lot of made-up stuff in the way. Yes. So that's what I heard. So I think it's yeah. important what you're saying, because to be honest, how many 20-year-olds think they're not cute enough, thin enough? Yeah. That thought is, is ageless, if you like. But I had a lot of insecure thinking about myself. You know, I've been told early on, I, you know, a lot of ways in which I should be and shouldn't be. And, and it was a time of, of Twiggy and fashion and all of that. And um, so I had a lot of insecure thinking, believing that I was undesirable. When I was breaking forth into my life, I was getting messages from my parents, like people like us don't do things like that. And so that really held me back in a very, very subtle way that somehow there was some way I was meant to be. It was an undefined 
people like us, but it really kept me very small. A lot of the messages I got were, you're not good enough. (laughs) And then another one was, um, be small because other people will be jealous of you. So I think it really curtailed my dating and my belief in myself to be attractive to boys and then to men. I was always missing the mark in some way, whether it was with my looks, my weight, the way I dressed, my education. You know, it still exists, but I just don't pay attention anymore. Without a voice or a witness telling me what's wrong or what could go wrong or what's not enough, or it didn't matter what anyone else thought. I could just be me. So this kind of gift landing on your doorstep, do you think that that lesson allowed you to be yourself in that next relationship? Or do you think it was a different, different lesson? It was certainly the lesson. I had the sense that I can just be myself. I had never felt so free of weight. You had a very deep connection with someone. Yes. And we're both mutually very in love. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to this. You can be very, very in love. And sometimes the other person has, I don't want to say frailty, but has something that they're stuck on, you know, whether it's some kind of destructive habit of some kind. So he had a kind of, I don't know, a behavior that was just just a little bit sort of too jarring. You could have worked around it, but you chose that it just didn't feel right for you. And I could really understand that because I think a lot of times when you look at this understanding, people will say, well, that means you should accept anything or that you should be okay with anyone's behavior. And he wasn't cruel in any way. I don't know how you would describe that, but I wanted to raise that because I think sometimes we try and talk ourselves using the principles to say, well, I should stay because it's all thought. His thing was he would disappear. At the very last minute, I would get a text saying he wasn't coming. And he would explain to me that this is how he's always been and how it's ruined other relationships. And I was like, let's talk about this. I spoke with him about coaching with you, and he chose not to do that. But there was just too many times where he would just, like for my birthday, we were supposed to go away, and that just he just disappeared. I just saw no purpose in being disappointed. I couldn't trust his word. And it was not that I wasn't important and he wasn't in love. You know, there were a lot of indications. And so that's why I chose to end it. I'm making my best effort on these podcasts to not put sort of like a, a plastic bow on anything. Like life has texture and we have wisdom and we have to call it with what feels true to us when we're in a quieter mind. But I have learned through the principles, so relationship ready is I am a choice. I'm not at effect anymore. The choice to be with someone, the choice not to be with someone, the choice to be patient, the choice to accept without creating additional story about it. You know, this is a man who I did love, probably still love, and he couldn't keep his word. I saw that. And he knows that he can't keep his word. Either I'm okay with constantly being disappointed, that's my choice, or my choice is to not, you know, to look for a better way of relationship. I felt sad. There was no doubt about it. I was brokenhearted. But it didn't create another story for me. I talk about it finding your imperfect perfect. And there was a lot of perfection in that love affair, but it wasn't your imperfect perfect for now. Well, how do you feel about dating right now? Do you feel like you're interested in other things right now? Do you feel like, you know, lockdown has meant that you've put it on pause? I did put it on pause. I feel content with putting it on pause. 
I think up until now, I've always been looking for my next relationship. And that's gone right now. I mean, every once in a while, this creeping thought will come. It's like, you're not getting any younger. And then I just don't pay attention to that. You know, that comes up a lot. And I can put it to rest pretty quickly. And it's really nice to be content. And I'm just feeling maybe uh, ready to, to start exploring dating again. And there's no a drive behind it, which is nice. It, there's just, you know, when the time is right, I'll know. When you stand out to me as someone who really let themselves discover and connect with fun and passion and adventure and without regret and enjoyed it, what you've discovered has been, from where I'm standing, incredibly enriching for you. Yeah. When I'm just centered and when I'm not stopping myself with my thinking, it's amazing how many opportunities there are to explore different ways of living, you know. Joanna, what would you tell your 16-year-old self? At 16, I think I was pretty, pretty clear what I wanted. I would say life is messy and you'll get through it. Have fun, enjoy, follow your heart. I mean, it's all kind of like cliches. It all works out. It all works out. And listen to that voice inside. That's where your truth lies. That's where your wisdom is. Yeah. Just do what makes you feel alive. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. Uh, hip hop and jazz. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hip hop and jazz.